0: Again, my name is Rev. Ann Dunlap. I'm a United Church of Christ pastor doing community ministry for racial justice and solidarity here in Denver, Colorado. You can learn more about me at FierceRevRemedies.com. And I also coordinate faith work for showing up for racial justice, or SURGE, nationally. This podcast is a project of SURGE Faith. I'm grateful, as always, to be with you wherever you are listening to this right now. I'm back in our prayer room today, and it's actually nighttime. It's been a cold, snowy day. All our bird baths are frozen over, but the tulips and alliums are still pushing their way to the sun. Since we are working with Ash Wednesday today, and at least part of the traditional liturgy is to remember that we are made of dust and ashes, I invite you to breathe with me and feel your spirit sink all the way down into the earth beneath us, wherever we may be. The soil, the Adamah that becomes Adam, the earth that becomes earthling. Breathe down deep into the dirt, the mud, the muck. We come from this With her own hands and breath, the divine made us from this. We return to this. Dust. Ashes. Dirt. Mud. Muck. Breathe down all the way down. We are the sacred stuff of the earth. Earthy, muddy, breathy bodies that stretch and love and creak and sing and that have limits. Our bodies break. Our hearts break. Breathe knowing we are not robots or machines whose only purpose is to produce, produce, produce. We are fleshy, tender beings here to love, here to be in awe. We are the sacred stuff of the earth. March 1st is Ash Wednesday, and the texts are powerful, from Joel chapter 2, or Isaiah 58, Psalm 51, 2 Corinthians 5, and Matthew chapter 6, Ash Wednesday. When I was little, still living in my hometown of Monticello, Arkansas, the church I grew up in had the best potlucks. We called them family night suppers and we filled the fellowship hall all ages on the Sunday nights they were held. Sometimes there were programs but mostly I remember the long tables heavy with home-cooked food. Fried chicken, ham, catfish or brim sometimes. My daddy sometimes brought baked beans, except for that one time Miss Schooley stepped in the pan on the floor as she got in the car when we picked her up. There were vegetables, I guess. Corn and greens and tomatoes right out of everyone's backyard. But who eats vegetables when there are miles of cakes and pies to choose from? And believe me when I tell you, Miss Peggy's angel food cake was and forever will be unrivaled in all the annals of angel food cakedom. We left Monticello when I was nine and no potluck anywhere ever again could live up to the standard of first Presbyterian in tiny Monticello. It was the food for sure, without a doubt. And it was also the community They called it family night supper, but I don't much remember eating with my blood family. I I remember remember eating with other kids and my brothers, or even more eating with adults, especially elders whose homes I'd ride my bike to during the week to play in their fascinating cabinets and attics. Bob and Dee Marsh, Virginia Johnson, Barbara and Ed Pomeroy, Virginia Pierce, Dr. Johnny, who saved my life when I was two, and Miss Corinne, whose prayers kept me living long after I had grown up. I occasionally dream about that church, and it's almost always dreams of waiting outside the double-swinging doors of the fellowship hall before the family night supper, like we always did. Or the supper itself, my little self, running around all these people who loved me. They're always good dreams, I think. At least when I wake up, I'm happy to have been in that building again, with those people again. You see, that little church taught me what it was to be treasured, to be considered precious. Not I don't think for anything in particular that I did, but simply for being. I was Anne, and I was special, just because I was alive. One of my favorite things about the family night suppers, well, the food, the people, of course, and the freedom to run all over the building and outside with the other kids, that was a particular kind of glee. But one of my favorite things was the big metal Coca-Cola cooler in the Fellowship Hall that was only full on family night supper nights. At home, we did not drink Cokes or any kind of soft drink. Where I come from, Every kind of soft drink is called a Coke, just so we're clear. We drank water or milk or orange juice, but never Cokes. But at the family night suppers, my brothers and I could drink as many as we wanted. I remember that big red metal chest, the silver lid and the bottle opener on the side, the hiss of air when that cap popped off and the sound of a bottle cap falling into the pile. I'd reach in and pull out a freezing glass bottle, Coke bottle green, right, remember? Pop that cap off and drink it down, feeling that sting in the back of my throat that made me gasp. If we're honest, if I'm honest, my family night suppers would end with me having a belly full of ham, angel food cake, maybe some brownies, and a whole lot of Coca-Cola. After we moved away when I was nine. Having a Coke became a way to connect with those memories, with that feeling of being loved and precious. For a while, I would only get to have one, or several, on special occasions, but in college I could have it whenever I wanted. By the time I was in my late 20s and struggling with depression, I was drinking a six-pack or more a day, honestly. Until my dad was diagnosed with diabetes and I realized my habit could kill me I would always reach for a coke when I felt down. I promise you this is not a commercial for coke. A company I came to learn trafficked in nostalgia, hashtag irony, and human rights violations. And the whole soda business is a devastation to the planet. Nope, I promise you this is a meditation on Ash Wednesday. When I was growing up, I knew that people gave something up for Lent, but it was not something emphasized in our churches or anything we did as a family. When I went to college, though, and started attending a church that was a little more conservative, suddenly giving up something for Lent became hugely important. It would be a common conversation up till Ash Wednesday, the start date. What are you giving up for Lent? Looking back, I recognize that I felt about that question about the same way I felt when someone would ask me which boy I liked. I would think to myself, I don't really understand this. Why is this important? Why do we care about this? But to the person asking, the church's college class leader or peer, I knew I needed to have an answer or I would not fit in. So my answer became, I give up coke for Lent. I never really understood why. Something about suffering so that I would understand Jesus's suffering, I guess. Understanding the sacrifice he made for me. But I would go right back to drinking Coke after Easter, and Jesus would never be uncrucified. It hardly seemed fair, really, or even make any kind of sense. I did not then have the understanding of the crucifixion as an execution by the Roman Empire of a revolutionary who threatened the empire's power, but I did have the sense that the crucifixion was violent, painful, bloody, and how did me giving up coke or chocolate or whatever in any way honor the way that Jesus lived and how he suffered for it? This is a question I am still asking. Coke, chocolate, gossip, 40 bags in 40 days, even taking up a practice instead of giving up one like reading the Bible more or adding more prayer time. I swear to God, I saw today, today, A major Christian denomination published a list of Lent practices to start on Ash Wednesday, and one of them was, Clean out your junk drawer and remember that Jesus died for your sins. Clean out your junk drawer. Meanwhile, Jesus is talking about keeping your personal piety to yourself. Thank you very much. Meanwhile, Paul is talking about beatings and imprisonment and being poor and hungry and thought of as an imposter. Meanwhile, the psalmist begs for a clean heart and to be purged of, with hyssop for their sin. Meanwhile, Isaiah tells the powerful their ritual fasting is useless, offensive, as long as they continue their violence and oppress their workers. Meanwhile, Joel pleads with us to rend our hearts and return to the divine. Rend your hearts, rend your hearts. None of these readings for Ash Wednesday have anything to do with giving up coke or cleaning out a junk drawer, not one. It is actually irresponsible, especially in this day and time, this right now, when indigenous people are being arrested off their own land, when Jewish cemeteries are desecrated and death threats called into Jewish schools, when migrants are rounded up in raids to fill up private prisons for corporate profit, when trans kids are told there is no safe space for them, when a self-avowed practicing racist misogynist assaulter sits in the White House and thinks it's a throne, when Muslim mosques are the target of rocks and Muslim perceived people the target of guns, When bills are being passed and executive orders issued to protect police officers, but the killers of Tamir Rice and Sandra Bland and Jessica Hernandez and Trayvon Martin and countless and countless and countless others are walking free, when Black Lives Matter is considered a terrorist organization but not white militias, when six black trans women have been murdered already this year, when, 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 my God, my God, the list grows every minute. When? In the face of all this violence, all of this dehumanization to uphold white supremacist, capitalist, heteropatriarchy, when, in the face of this swarming army of devouring locusts, our white Christian denominations offer up toothless because budgetless resolutions and faith nurture staff but no funding for racial justice work and suggestions to clean out our junk drawers rather than to rend our hearts On this Ash Wednesday, right now, this day, anything less than a call to white folks and white institutions, including the church, for total transformation, with the organizing and resources to back it up, is irresponsible, and it is not the gospel. Rend your hearts. What if... On Ash Wednesday, we start giving up something that actually matters, something that will actually loose the bonds of injustice, undo the thongs of the yoke, let the oppressed go free, and break every yoke. What if this is the fast that God chooses, that white folk give up whiteness for Lent? What if we bow our heads to receive this mark that reminds us that we are not white? Like this mark on our heads, we are stuff of the earth and divine breath, nothing more. Nothing less either, but nothing more. We were not created white. We were created human. What if we rend our hearts and return to God with all our hearts, Remembering that Joel, like all the prophets, is talking to those who have power and privilege, those who have followed other ways, other gods. Return to God with all our hearts. Can we receive this mark on our heads as a commitment to stop following the ways that center white comfort and privilege? To depend on God to provide and not unjust, exploitative systems? What if we open up our hearts and lungs to the cleansing, purifying gifts of hyssop, stripping out of our secret hearts all the ways that whiteness, the sin we are born into, is embedded there? On Ash Wednesday, when the ashes are imposed on our heads, let the words of all these prophets be also imposed on our hearts. Our hearts. Jesus, who has no time for hypocritical personal piety, does say this, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So as white folks, white churches, let's ask ourselves, where is our treasure? What is our treasure? What would our budgets tell us about where our treasure actually is? What would how we use our buildings tell us about where our treasure is? What would how much risk we're willing to take, or not, tell us about where our treasure is? Where is our treasure? Where is our heart? Do we white Christians treasure our comfort and access more than we treasure Jesus? Do we white Christians treasure our status, our position, more than we treasure Jesus? Do we white Christians treasure the privilege we are granted by an oppressive system that would just as soon kill Jesus today too? Do we treasure that more than we treasure Jesus? Do we white Christians treasure whiteness more than we treasure Jesus? A brown-skinned, often homeless, sometimes refugee, poor-skilled laborer, colonized, terrorized, outcast, revolutionary. Do we treasure that Jesus? Do we love that Jesus? If Ash Wednesday is anything. It is a moment to recommit our whole hearts back to that Jesus and the God who he trusted with his very life. Ash Wednesday is a moment to recommit ourselves to being fully human and be purged of the ways whiteness has disfigured our lives. Ash Wednesday is a moment to rend our hearts and be reconciled to God, turn back to God, depend on God, work together with God. Paul says now is the time now is the acceptable time now is the day of our salvation and know when we are servants of God it will not be pretty or comfortable. Paul lives affliction, endures hardship, beatings, imprisonment, hard work, sleepless nights, hunger, treated as an imposter, unknown, dying, punished, enduring all of that at the hands of the empire and those who collaborate with it. A gospel that is palatable to the empire, that produces no risk, no hardship, well, that's no gospel at all. If you are taking the risk to be the servant of God, to fully proclaim the gospel of liberation, that's what it looks like. That's what treasuring, loving Jesus looks like. And Paul says, that's what it means to possess everything. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the time to rend our hearts. Now is the time to choose which side you are on, the side of empire or the side of Jesus. It's never too late. And God is waiting there, abounding in steadfast love. So if we are to be marked, let us be marked not for comfort, but for endurance, not for empire, but for Jesus, not for whiteness, but for God. Your call to action this week is three actions or practices I suggest to help us give up whiteness for Lent and for the rest of our lives, really. I hope you will practice all of them, as I will be. Number one, if you are a preacher preparing your Lent and Holy Week sermons, it is crucial to resist anti-Jewish readings of the lectionary texts. The focus of this lectionary cycle on Romans and the Gospel of John means that resistance is even more important, as both of those books have historically been misinterpreted to foment anti-Jewish oppression. Additionally, anti-Jewish oppression and anti-Semitism are one way that white supremacy gets perpetuated, so a resistance interpretation is even more crucial. Again, I commend to you the Jewish Annotated New Testament and Dr. Amy Jill Levine's work on the Gospels and Dr. Pamela Eisenbaum's work on Paul. I'll add links in the transcript for you. Number two, read Paul's list in 2 Corinthians again and ask yourself what risks you're willing to take for the Gospel. What are you willing to preach? Where are you willing to put your body? For example, if you have a sign that says immigrants and refugees are welcome, if ICE comes to your door with a warrant, what will you do? If police come looking for a student in your school, what will you do? If people get up and walk out on your sermon or say they'll stop tithing, what will you do? Be honest. Then ask yourself, what would happen if you took those risks anyway and trusted God to have you no matter what, even if the system no longer does? Number three, finally, feel those ashes on your head. What do they really mean to you? What does it mean to be made of earth and divine breath? What does it mean to belong to that divine breath rather than belong to whiteness, to the empire? What would it look like to really be free? Then go and preach that gospel. Preach that gospel. Dr. Vincent Harding says, if you start teaching free, walking free, and I would add preaching free. You'll be amazed at who will walk with you and where the road may lead. That's your call to action this week. For now is the time. Now is the time to rend our hearts. Let us be marked for love. Let us be marked for liberation. Let us be marked for the gospel. Let us be marked for Jesus. Let us be marked for God. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. A blessed Ash Wednesday to you. As always, the transcript this week will include a bunch of resources at the end to support your action. Let us know how it goes by commenting on our SoundCloud or Facebook pages. I'll be posting up the next podcast for Sunday, March the 12th, during the week of March 5th. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on the word is resistance. You can interact with me there if you have questions or need help with action ideas. And transcripts will be be available as well on our website, which include any references, credits, and copyright information. Again, a blessed Ash Wednesday and beginning of Lent to you. Blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice and in all that you do to build up a new world. Love and liberation, beloveds. Love and liberation. Until next time, I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap. Thank you so much.